0: Hello, I'm Margie, and you are listening to another episode of Desert Island Dishes. I'm back from a long weekend in New York, feeling rounder, broke, and pretty tired. (laughs) All the makings of a great trip. Although, I think I was a few of those things before the holiday. Seriously, though, I don't think I could have eaten any more. And I genuinely think I might have found the best pizza in the world. That's right big claim, but honestly, I mean, it was just the kind of pizza I would marry if it asked. If you're in New York, you need to go to Prince Street Pizza. Don't mess around. Get the pepperoni and ask them to make it extra crispy. Like, seriously, I'm just drooling at the thought. I'm going to do a blog post on my blog, madebymargie.co.uk, with lots of different recommendations. So if you're interested, head over there after this episode, of course. If you haven't already, then please do subscribe. You'll join a growing gang, which is very exciting. And if you leave a review, I will like you even more. Today's castaway is Rebecca Hall. She is the founder of Botanic Lab, which was one of the first juice companies in the UK. And she's really impressive. And I really, really like the ethos of the brand. They aren't selling a dream. They don't pretend the juices will transform you into a Victoria's Secret model. They're just creative and really delicious. And I genuinely just really like them. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Rebecca. It's so lovely to meet you. Thank you very much for being here on Desert Island Dishes. My pleasure. So, Rebecca, you're the founder of Botanic Lab, the cold pressed juice company. So I guess that makes you a food entrepreneur. And I'm really looking forward to hearing all about your favorite foods. I've heard you talk about the competitive landscape of the juice industry. And I wondered, what is it that makes Botanic Lab different?
1: Well, I think there's lots of things that make Botanic Lab different. I think I'm not a traditional food entrepreneur. yeah. So I think I don't come at this from a perspective of wanting to change the world or change the way people eat or drink. Um, I come at it from a business perspective. yeah. I think from a product point of view, we try to do things that are unique. And by that, I mean, use unique ingredients that other people don't use. Um, and there are many reasons why other people don't use them. Sometimes they haven't heard of them. Sometimes they're difficult to make them taste good, difficult to source, and all of those things make it challenging to scale a business. So we we made a decision to use those interesting ingredients. And that's really set us apart from, from other people. Well, now. so
0: you guys were some of the first, weren't you? We
1: were. We got there very early on, yeah. which is helpful. And we've learned, we changed our products a lot. And we've learned a lot as we've kind of gone through, developed different products, dropped some. Found out what really works for us, and and the the niche that we found for us is drinks that really have a a natural function to them, a performance function to them, yeah. Without being sort of too explicit about how you have to live your life or what your lifestyle needs to be, really enjoying the drinks and enjoying what they can
0: do for you, definitely. And the juice—it's cold pressed, is not it? Yeah. So So what does that
1: mean? (laughs) It's everybody says it like it's some fantastic innovation, but it's not. It's as old as time. You know, cold pressing is how you make cider, so it just means it must be good. I'm from Somerset, so it's definitely good. It just means there's an absence of heat and and a large amount of pressure is applied to the juice rather than putting it into a a juicer and creating heat. Oh, okay. And the lack of heat preserves the nutrients and the enzymes and the minerals in the juice. And then we also apply a cold pressure to the outside of the bottle, which is an alternative to pasteurization. So pasteurization Ah. extends the shelf life by heating it, killing bacteria we apply, apply a cold pressure to it, which also kills some of the microflora but leaves the enzymes and the nutrients intact. So, cool. so it's kind of it's a technology that certainly the, the cold pressure technology is an advancement in kind of food technology that allows you to create a nutrient-dense product but also a safe
0: product. Yeah, amazing. And now you're stocked in Waitrose, Cardo, All Bar One, to name just a few. It's so exciting.
1: It is exciting, yeah. yeah. I think since we started the business, the, the market's caught up a lot. They were very niche products when we first began. The kind of places you would expect to stop niche products were the first people to stop in places like Harrods, yeah. um, where they were like premium, unique products. But I think retailers now are really understanding that the consumers really want something different. And, yeah. and they know so much about food now, as much as we do. And they're really demanding um, food that is unique, that they know where it's sourced from. They, they know that it's sourced responsibly. Uh, they understand what the ingredients do for them. So they're really demanding that from the big retailers and they, to their credit, Waitrose and Ocado, are are looking to to young retailers, uh, young um, producers like us who are are doing that in a a very unique way, which
0: is great. Yeah, really exciting. Okay, good time to pause and talk about your first Desert Island dish of the day. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood.
1: Oh, I, yeah, I was really torn about which one it would be. And I think probably the dish that most reminds me of my childhood, I still eat now because my mum still makes it when I go oh. My mum is a fantastic cook and I'm very, very lucky because I'm very spoilt. spoiled. Um, she's also a feeder, so she oh, wants, always wants to make sure everyone is well fed. <laughs> I love feeders. But I always remember when we were younger, we would always have, spaghetti bolognese was a staple, but we always had it with peas on top of it. Oh. which I think is a quite unique thing to do. <laughs> what
0: kind of like stirred just, into it no, or just, just like... Just sprinkled on top. I like think you my put mom, parmesan, exactly. you just a sprinkling of I peas. I think
1: my was trying to make us eat our greens. <laughs> so we still always have spaghetti bolognese with peas on top. That always reminds me of my child. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and also something that um, I never eat now and I never see anywhere. It's toad in the hole. Oh yeah, when we were younger. Yeah, um, I love it. I would, I would never choose it now, but it's yeah. No,
0: it's true. Maybe you never find to, it. Anywhere. Yeah, it needs to have a comeback.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so those those two dishes, I guess, really remind me of my childhood.
0: Those are good options. So your story is a really interesting one because you left a successful ten-year-long career in finance to pursue your dream of starting a business. But what I found so interesting was that when you left your job you didn't know what business it was that you were going to start. No.
1: I think I always wanted to work for myself. And I can remember for as long as I was in that career, wanting to, to do that, but not knowing what that idea was. Yeah. And I, I almost became obsessed with what that idea was. What is that product or that idea? And I couldn't think of it and I couldn't, understand why I couldn't think of it. I wasn't that um, that entrepreneur from childhood at 13 who had that brilliant idea, tech idea. I yeah. wasn't that person, <laughs> but I always wanted to work for myself. And I think what I really wanted to do, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And there is a certain attitude and skill set, I think, attached to that, which is different from the attitude of necessarily an inventor
0: or someone like that. Definitely.
1: And I just came to the conclusion in the end, having worked for a number of entrepreneurs in the latter part of my finance, finance career, the only way I was going to do that was to take a step back and allow myself a bit of headspace to think about what I wanted to do and also be open to opportunities because I think um, a well-paid job can be a bit of a trap. Yeah, I was going to
0: say two things. My, I always used to sort of dream of thinking of my big idea. And my yeah. dad used to say, you can't just sit there and like close your eyes and expect no. it to come to you. You have to get out into the world and find where the gaps are. And yeah. um, so that's definitely something that really resonated when I was looking yeah, at your story.
1: And you never know what it, I think being open to people's ideas and opportunities and speaking to different people, yeah. meeting new people really helped me to kind of find what I wanted to do. And it wasn't when when this opportunity came along, it wasn't like it was a eureka moment. This is what I've been waiting for. Yeah. my calling. It's grown into that because I've I've built the life that I wanted to as an entrepreneur. Yeah. But it could, to be honest, it could be any product or any business. Yeah. That makes but sense. that's
0: what lots of Monica Vinader, she runs her jewellery business mm. with her sister and the sister is very business minded. And she always says... I don't, no disrespect, but like, I don't really care that it's jewelry. It could mm. be anything. Like, it's just, it is running a business. When you get away from the product, it's the same kind of thing, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And
1: I think that's that attitude is always put in the shadow of this sort of great inventor. or Yeah. Um, and actually, no business gets anywhere without someone who has that entrepreneurial spirit and has that ability
0: to run the business, yeah. um, which is so important. Yeah, but you are really brave as well because... I trained as a lawyer but I didn't actually start working as a yeah. lawyer. I sort of did like a culinary about turn before that all yeah. happened. And I do think it's really brave to actually walk away from that when you're living that life.
1: Yeah, it's it's a trap, I think. Um it's it's very it's not just money as well. It's also you you build a status, I think from your job, a very fake one. Yeah, but you build it defines a stat- you. It defines you and I was very scared of of what I would feel like when I couldn't say that that was the job I did. Yeah.
0: Um, I know. At a dinner party, like, what do you do? Like, ugh.
1: Exactly. uh. And I very quickly realized those were my own prejudices, not anybody else's. And for the people that they were, they weren't worth having around. Yeah. So going from saying I was a banker to I was a yoga teacher was a very big step for me, a very, a very big move.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But kind of I, it's good for you, isn't it? Very good. Yeah. For you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the second desert island dish of the day. And that's the first dish that you learned to cook.
1: Anyone listening to this is going to laugh because they're <laughs> going to say you never cook. <laughs> <laughs> but I always say it's because I've been thoroughly spo- spoiled by my mum, who yeah. is an amazing cook. But I think my mum my is a great cook. And she always had me and my brother in the kitchen when we were younger. And whenever anyone says you don't cook, it's not because I can't cook. I I actually know how to cook most things. Yeah. But I don't get a great amount of pleasure out of cooking. But I do remember when I went to secondary school, we used to have home economics classes. And the first dish we learned to cook was like a cheese and potato pie. Oh! And I remember at the time thinking, this is ridiculous. I know how to cook much better things than this. And without realizing it, obviously, because I've been in the kitchen with my mum so much, I know I already knew how to cook everything that my mum had known how to cook. You know, we would make Sunday dinner every Sunday. I was always in charge of the cheese sauce to oh. make a mean cheese Ooh, sauce. Well, that
0: <laughs> is a skill in itself. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so, yeah, by osmosis, I know how to cook most most things. I can't bake, but, um, but I, think I think that's, that's quite
0: a... a- skill. Yeah, but I yeah. think also if you don't enjoy cooking, baking isn't something that you probably would have explored or tried.
1: Exactly. And I, I also think that like when you, you're exposed to food at a young age, you understand food better and where it comes from. We always grew our own vegetables. Um, my mum cooked every meal for us. So I think you have a better understanding of food and what to do with
0: it then. Yeah. Definitely. So when I was researching you and um, I read that you met your business partner during your yoga years, but I wondered how was it that you met him and then decided that Juice would be the business that you started?
1: Well, I think it sort of relates to what we were saying just then about being open to opportunities. Yeah. I, I met Christoph on a, on a yoga retreat, which I ran um, because I was teaching yoga and also I had a little yoga business. And Christoph had been in California. He's a chef. Um, and seeing what was happening in cold-pressed juice, and he wanted to start a drinks business. Had the skills to make drinks, but obviously didn't have the business acumen to do that, so we decided to do that together. And and actually, we only knew each other for a
0: few months before we decided to set off on that journey together, which was That's incredible. So, um So really, was it just sort of one of those fortuitous conversations where he mentioned what he was thinking, and you were like, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, and I, I think being open to those opportunities as they came along, and I think I probably didn't... Know that it would work out in the way that it has. I didn't know that I had the ability to run a business. I know I always wanted to or raise
0: the money to do it and all those sorts of things. But yeah, I've grown into it, I guess. Yeah. So you didn't come from a food background, no. which I find really interesting because. I think food businesses are some of the hardest. Oh, it's totally <laughs> naive of
1: me, to be honest. And also, I don't come from a food background or a manufacturing background, and we have our own manufacturing
0: Oh, site. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, very naive. And if you if I did it all over again, I'd probably do it very differently. But I think that naivety is, is quite helpful because it's so
0: daunting to do those things. Oh, my goodness. If you knew everything that was involved, you'd just, like, never get out of you bed would, in the morning. You would
1: <laughs> never do it. And And the manufacturing side of things, food manufacturing is incredibly daunting. And I've always seen it as a burden, but actually now we're a little bit further on. It's one of our great
0: strengths. Um, yeah. Cause you produce for other people now. Don't we you? do.
1: We produce for ourselves and other people. And we know so much about how our products are made, how our ingredients are sourced. When we recently, um, we made a Tetra Pak product very recently, which we had to outsource. And we were able to, to use very unique ingredients in there because of the sourcing that we have in our own manufacturing site the manufacturer that we use would never have been able to get those ingredients. Yeah, that's um, so cool. So it's, it's been very, very helpful to us. It gives us a lot of flexibility. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, it's a major USP.
1: Yeah. I mean, we can turn a drink around very quickly. Yeah. We're doing a, um, a drink with cardo in the winter, which we turned around, you know, in, in the space of a month or so, which if you were man- manufacturing, oh God, yeah, with, yeah, that you, just you just wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> so it's been, it, it was very naive of me, but at the same time, I think I've, it's been quite helpful to come at it quite green. Yeah. And from a perspective of someone who's a consumer.
0: Yeah. And I've heard you say that the sort of best advice you were given when you were starting was just to start and not worry if it the, the business itself was a bit crap to begin yeah. with, because starting is the hardest part, which I totally agree. Absolutely. But how what did starting look like for you guys? I'm like best. were you <laughs> were you in the kitchen making the juices yeah. and who were you selling to? Like how yeah. did how did you take that leap? Oh
1: God! I mean, we again, uh, thankfully, went into it quite blindly, but we um, <laughs> we ended up. Um, so I raised a small amount of money to start with, wrote wrote a business plan, raised it from contacts and friends of mine, and we rented a what is essentially a square box of a kitchen in Acton, not the one we're in now. One down the road, we kitted it out with what we thought we needed. Yeah, <laughs> and then myself, Christoph, and and a friend of ours, Jay got in there and we made the juice and it probably took us, I mean, it probably took us 17 hours to make like a hundred bottles of yes. juice. Like, I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> um, and we had one customer to start with, which was Fenix of oh, On Street. A yeah, good one customer. A great one customer. Yeah. So we kind of, we did it right in the sense of making sure we had a customer, worked out how to make it. We made it ourselves. I delivered it the next day. Um, so we did everything ourselves. Yeah. If I were to do it over again, I would go from that point to, where we are now much quicker. But I think we went through that evolution. We learned as we went along, we went through it slowly. We went at
0: the pace that the money we had allowed us to. Yeah. It's so easy to think that or say that with hindsight, but actually you had to go through all of it. Had
1: to learn all the different things. Um, I think now I know what I know. I would probably do it differently. Um, But I have that. I would come into that with the knowledge of someone
0: who's run a Drinks business so yeah yeah. kind of different perspective yeah (laughs) okay Rebecca time to talk about the third desert island dish of the day and that's the best dish you've ever eaten
1: this one was really challenging actually because I think I've been really lucky to eat in some beautiful places all over the world and I'm trying to think about those memorable dishes or whether it's one of my mum's dishes yeah and and actually, the ones that are really memorable are the ones that have quite a lot of theatre attached to them. And food is so much about who you're with and, and what happens around you. Definitely. Like, for example, you know, if you go to the Ritz and they make crepe Suzette at your... at your, yeah. and <laughs> I don't like crepe Suzette particularly, but I always remember the, the theatre of that. And I think for that reason, probably my favourite dish that I've ever eaten is um, was in Italy in Florence. And it's a very simple dish, of fettuccine Alfredo, which is you know, all the things I love, cheese, yep. butter, <laughs> pasta, carbs. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> but they made it at the table. And so like an Italian family, and you know what Italians are like about food? They're so energetic about food and they love food and it's a big family affair. And they brought brought it all to the table in a big pan and they mixed it at the table oh. and served it up and it's so rich and beautiful. So I think that's probably my most memorable dish, not necessarily because it's it was the most beautiful food,
0: but the yeah. most memorable thing that yeah, I've ever eaten. God, yeah. that sounds delicious. <laughs> Um, So I love how Botanic Lab has kind of evolved as the market evolved and you've experimented and found niches that you didn't necessarily expect to start with, like for the the, um, drinks for the sports. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, that was really a defining moment for us. And it was, it was sort of by accident. So that drink was, we, we were one of the first people to do a drink with charcoal and
0: yeah.
1: activated charcoal. And we launched that about a year into our
0: development. It was, it was a huge success because it was so unique. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's black.
1: And, it's black. And yeah. it's
0: delicious, but tell people what does it taste well, like? Well, the,
1: the black thing is really the most unremarkable thing about it. I mean, the charcoal, to be honest, is there to give it an interesting color um, okay. and attract people's attention. The most interesting thing about it is the functionality of the other ingredients. And we were playing around, we have different drinks called tonics and we were playing around with names and we we're talking about isotonic and then what is an isotonic and what does it do? And we sort of looked into that and we realized that that sugarcane juice, which is one of the things that we were using is a natural isotonic. So then we blended the drink to, to make sure that the salt, sugar, mineral balance was, was correct in order that it functioned as an isotonic, the same way as a leucosate does yeah. or something like that and and it's it's just an amazing energy booster and functions really well as a as a performance drink so it was sort of by accident
0: so clever um, and
1: really the thing that people think stands out about it is the color but it's really the most unremarkable thing about it but it, obviously it has helped it to stand out on the shelf
0: yeah it does feel strange because it's not often that you drink something that color and then it doesn't taste at all how you expect. A completely it's surprising it. taste. Yeah, it's sort of really sick. Sort of it like.
1: Yeah, it's got yuzu fruit in there, mm. which is like a Japanese lemon. Yeah, really, it, I, I think it defines so well what we do, which is it looks remarkable, tastes completely different to how it
0: looks, and it has a really strong function to it. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what we do basically. Yeah. And so then that opened you up to talking to sports teams and yeah. sort of that different route to market.
1: Yeah, we have um so we work with a number of the, the football teams in London. We do um, I'm not really allowed to say who they are, okay. but we do, <laughs> they've got a competitive advantage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so on a commercial basis, which is is a really nice Reassurance that our products work when they're yeah. prepared to actually pay for them, so they use them instead of the Lucas Aids as match That's days, awesome. and match days and post match. So, yeah, it's a really, it's a really nice reinforcement of the drinks, yeah. and I think in a, a reflection of how food has moved along so much now in that people are really focusing on the natural performance of ingredients. I, I read in The Times at the weekend that drugs companies are now looking to natural ingredients like broccoli. Oh, Because really? they've run out of synthetic ingredients God. to do anything. <laughs> and actually, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. But we you know we should be looking to what these natural ingredients
0: can do to us. But it's so weird that the natural route wouldn't have been the first place that we Isn't looked. Isn't it strange? Yeah, yeah. It's so strange. But I also think we have a habit here and sugar
1: is a perfect example of this of demonizing ingredients and demonizing certain food groups and one of the things we never want to do is demonize foods including sugar um we don't use refined sugar in our drinks but that's not to say that it can't form part of a balanced diet and i think diet is a very intuitive thing and i think intuitively we know that the more processed something is the more processes it's been through Probably the less likely it is to be doing you any good. Yeah. And the more natural you can, natural state you can eat something or consume something in, the more likely your body's going to absorb those yeah.
0: nutrients. So we kind of work by that premise. I was going to ask as well the traditional juice business is the um, customer quite female?
1: Yeah, it's um, so the traditional green juice business is a sort of very Californian construct, yeah. which is the female in the bikini on the beach. I say this <laughs> a lot, you know, and you think our drinks aren't going to make you look like that. They aren't going to make you do backflips in a bikini. And I, yeah. I really. I don't like that at all. I don't, I don't like the the fact that people want to drink things to be thin. Yeah. And I also don't want to exclude people from drinking our drinks because they feel they don't fit into a certain type of person.
0: Yeah. I read a quote where you said, we don't sell with the tagline that the juice will make you beautiful. And I actually, I was really impressed by that because I think that's quite an easy sell in it the is. world that we're living in. It is. People want quick fixes these days. Yeah. Um, and
1: we sell interesting drinks. They do have functionality to them, but they're for everybody. You know, someone who wants to spend their whole day sat on the couch, then we have something for them yeah. as well we can keep them awake so they can watch Netflix. You know, we we have it, we have it for everybody. But first and foremost, they have to taste good or interesting and they have
0: to be surprising. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Right. Most important question of the day. It's your fourth Desert Island dish, and it's, what is your favourite sandwich? This is absolutely the most important question, because I love sandwiches. (laughs) Everybody does. I love sandwiches.
1: Well, do you know what I heard the other day? Uh, One of these sort of health bloggers saying that their foods provide a great alternative to those horrible sandwiches. You I was like, hang on a
0: minute. (laughs) Don't be talking bad about sandwiches. Hang on a minute. (laughs) Who is this blogger? (laughs) Quite a famous one. I love a
1: sandwich. Yeah, me
0: too. I love carbs and bread, so that works really well for me.
1: (laughs) Am I allowed like more than one? Yes. So, <laughs> so if it was a shop bought sandwich. Oh, yeah, okay, yes. Then can I would break it down. I would always go for a beef and horseradish with rocket. Ooh. Really strong horseradish. Yep. White bread. White bread. Always, always white bread. Always. The Marks and Spencer's one is the best. Good tip. But that would that would always be my my favorite one. If I was making it myself.
0: Because I have to say. There is a difference between buying ones and making... Like, I'm a fan of buying them, definitely, and making them yourself. But they are are a different creature.
1: I would never buy the sandwich I would make. So if it was me, I would make crusty white bread, butter... Salad cream, which is so underused, I think. In totally agree. Everyone's mayonnaise, for it. Yeah, salad, no cream. salad cream. Cheddar cheese, proper strong cheddar cheese. Yeah. And then you're going to kill me for this. Sliced up pickled onions. <laughs> <laughs> Wait,
0: is that the whole sandwich? That's oh. the whole sandwich. Wait, sliced up pickled onions? Sliced up
1: pickled onions. And yeah. possibly, if I was that way inclined that day, a salt and
0: vinegar crisp in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> that I can definitely get on board with. Big fan of crisps That would be the one I'd make my Oh. Okay. yeah i liked how you um preface that by saying oh i obviously wouldn't buy the one that i was gonna make <laughs> yeah. at home and i was thinking it's, oh, quite right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be really
1: fancy <laughs> we always used to have a sandwich shop in um i went to uni in bristol and they had a sandwich shop called Phil Potts. there i chose to go to a lot and they did a really good prawn and Mary rose and they always asked you at the end do you want carrots onions and olives on it Always, Always. all of them,
0: and that was a great sandwich too. University (laughs) towns have the best sandwich shops. The best, yeah. We, I mean, yeah. I left university ten years ago now, which I can't believe it. But um, (laughs) (laughs) fifteen. But yeah, we still talk about the sandwich shop in our university. It was a brilliant sandwich shop. Yeah, so good. Okay, so your juices, as you mentioned, they do contain unusual ingredients, Mm. including ginseng. And right now, I'm probably not going to say this right, but (laughs) Trissandra. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. um, <laughs> and cola nuts I mean I yeah. haven't even heard of some of them yeah had you heard of them before and how do you discover these ingredients
1: I've heard of some of them not all of them and a lot of them people have heard of but they don't realize they've heard of or realize they've been consuming them cola nut is a perfect example of that, yeah, in is that cola it's, nut? it's one of the original ingredients in coca-cola Kola nut and cocaine were the two original right. ingredients. We should go back in to the co-ca- original. <laughs> yeah, go back
0: to the original. <laughs> yeah, <I> know. <laughs> no wonder they keep that recipe. But so they used to sell it secret. in
1: fountains in the street and people would get quite high from it. But kola nut, it's, um, it's, a, it's about this big. It's, yeah. a, it's a fruit from, a, from West Africa and they eat it in ceremonies in West Africa. Ah. Um, and it's sort of mildly hallucinogenic. In large quantities, but it has a very earthy flavour to it, um, and a nat- it's naturally caffeinated. So it was, it, it's it's not cool. really in m- many Coca Colas now. Some of it, some of them have an extract in it, and some of the artisan colas have it in there. So we we started experimenting with. Originally, that drink had something called a plum in it, which it still does actually, and it made it this very Coca Cola colour colour. So we, then we were thinking, okay, well, let's maybe do a play on the Coca Cola add some cola nut into there, so it's caffeinated. So it's, again, taking those drinks to a different level where they yeah. have a function. And that drink of ours has the same amount of caffeine as a Red Bull. So it's an energy drink, oh but God, it's that's totally cold-pressed and all-natural ingredients. So, again, that's one of the ones we use with a lot of our sports people because a lot of sports people use Red Bull to give them energy before working
0: out or, before, yeah. you know, kind of going into yeah, the game you see people something. sort of guzzling a Red Bull for breakfast.
1: But it's full of synthetic ingredients. Yeah. So, it provides a kind of natural alternative to get that functionality, but
0: you're still using raw natural ingredients to do it. That's awesome. So, I don't know. Maybe this isn't on brand. Could you mix it with like vodka or something? Oh, absolutely! Mm-hmm. It is amazing. I love mixing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because I just yeah, that sounds delicious. Chopped
1: it. The best. The best mix, as far as I'm concerned, are Refuel the Charcoal one with yeah. mezcal. I'm a big tequila Ooh. fan. That's beautiful. They actually serve a drink in balance in Soho with with those two in it which is really oh, lovely. Oh great. And then the, the cola with either with rum or with vodka is beautiful.
0: Mm. Oh yeah with rum yeah. I bet that's delicious. There's a,
1: there's a restaurant in Manchester a new restaurant called The Rabbit and the Moon and they do a cola one of our cola cocktails in there. Ah that's really so lovely. cool. Yeah.
0: yeah so that's kind of going back to like the, all the amazing twists and turns that your company has taken. Yeah and the, the restaurant and bar
1: industry has always been a good customer for us because increasingly people aren't drinking as much and soft drinks have always been an afterthought they're yeah. either fizzy drinks or their water or their mocktails, which is so cheesy. Yeah, And I think people want now the same artisanal input into their soft drinks as they get into their gins and their mezcals and their whatever it is that they're drinking. Yeah, So there's a real market for those kind of things for us. One of our next
0: drinks might well focus more on that area as well. Cool. Yeah. Okay, right. Fifth desert island dish of the day. It's the dish that you eat the most often. I'm really embarrassed about this. <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> There's no judgment on this podcast. <laughs> embarrassing. I, a
1: dish I probably eat most often is in Soho House. Is that okay. bad? <laughs> I don't actually make it myself. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> I um I don't cook. A I thought lot. you were going to say something way more embarrassing no, no. than that. I don't cook that often, just because I'm really time poor, and cooking takes quite
0: a lot of yeah. time. And I live on my own as well. Yeah. So it's not that much fun to cook for yourself. It's kind of becomes quite functional. Cooking cooking for one is a different kind of cooking. It it?
1: is, it is. So I I eat on the go quite a lot, which is one of the reasons why I love our products because having something that is fast food, but fast food that is not heavily processed is really important, Yeah. For me, for so someone say, and I think I'm not unique in having no, that kind def- of lifestyle. Definitely not. Um, so I don't cook a lot for myself. So I, I do eat out quite a lot. A friend of mine, he and I meet once a week and always have supper in her house. So I quite often eat figs and burrata in there. So that's Ooh, probably why figs and burrata
0: my favorite yep. thing. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. If I'm cooking, if I am cooking for myself, probably what I make most often is I don't know what you would describe it as, but I I eat a lot of lentils mainly because I love carbs. And lentils are kind of a nice alternative yeah. to having a really starchy cup. Yeah, no, that's true. And they fill you up quite yeah, a lot. Yeah, they do. So I, I quite often will just stir fry lots of veggies, onions, garlic, mushrooms, a bit of chili, mix them in with some lentils, tomatoey, goulash, that
0: kind that of thing. That sounds nice. Yeah. It is yeah. quite nice. Yeah. yeah, I can see yeah. why you have that on a regular nice quick basis. quick and easy. Yeah. yeah. So we have already touched on this a little bit, but... I just I do really love that your business ethos and the whole brand, it just isn't focused on weight loss. Mm. And was that something super intentional and something that you were really passionate about from the start?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I've always said I don't restrict my diet at all. Christoph, who I started the business with, is a chef and he loves exploring food. So it never fitted with with either what either us of us are about. Yeah. And I find it I don't know about you probably the same, I quite find it quite nauseating, all of that. Female directed pressure to be a certain way, to look a certain way, to restrict what you eat, to demonize foods. It it just turns me off completely. Yeah. So we definitely didn't want to be focused in that area. And also, there's so many people doing it.
0: Yeah. And it's. Did you feel like obviously that's something that just comes naturally to you because it doesn't sit well with you, but also it made you different to the other yeah. juice companies I out think there.
1: slightly. Opportun- we were very early when we started the business, but very quickly within six months, there were five, six, seven, eight. Nine, ah, 10. And so it stressful. immediately like, oh my God, what's going on? So you do need to find a way to make yourself different. And the best way to do that is to follow, I think your own instinct about what feels genuine to you. Yeah, Our branding has also, which has always been a strength of ours, has always been very androgynous as well and quite masculine. Yeah. Um. And I think that's attracted a slightly different audience. Um. The black drink. the yeah. Performance angle. Um. And it, you know that's very gender. So branding is but, so
0: cool. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. It's really
1: cool. it's, yeah. It's not. It's not playing to that natural health market. Or And you know, branding's moved on a long way since Innocent. Innocent at its time was you know a real breakthrough in in branding. That jokey, funny attitude on the pack. Um. You can yeah. See pictures. And that got imitated by a lot of food brands. And I think that time has gone now. I think people are much more serious about food and they understand a lot more about it. They want to know factually what's in something. That's what we try and deliver to them. We try and tell them what's there without judgment about what they should be doing and let them make a choice. We credit our consumers with a degree of intelligence, and let them take the information, go away, and find out about it themselves. Because we're very limited about what we
0: can actually say about things. As yeah, well oh yeah, pack. that's true because of all the regulations. Yeah, and stuff. very tight and very
1: restricted, and also very archaic. Sort of back in sort of, I think food food laws here are back in the 1970s. We're a lot further on in terms of research, what people use, and types of ingredients people want to consume. I don't really want to talk about how calcium is
0: good for your eyesight on a pack. I want yeah. to talk about really interesting ingredients,
1: <laughs> but we're not allowed to do that. So,
0: <laughs> um, okay, we're moving on to the sixth Desert Island dish of the day, and that's your go to dinner party dish. This what makes me laugh. I pretty much have never done a dinner party for okay, anyone. Okay, but that in itself is, that that is interesting.
1: No, I can't lie because if anyone listens to this, they'll be like, uh, when was I invited
0: to a dinner <laughs> so you're, party? Um, by you? A dinner party uh, frequent, you go. To I them.
1: love going yeah. to them, and I love eating other people's. I like being cooked for. It sounds awful, doesn't it? No. I have, as I said, I've got a mother who's an amazing cook, and my best friend, who I've known since I was ten, is an amazing cook. My brother's an amazing cook, so I get cooked for. oh well, yes, lot, understandable, which is great. Yeah. And I, I, so I love dinner party. I love socializing over food. Yeah, I would very
0: rarely do that for other people because I yeah. kind of like the socializing yeah. <laughs> aspect. of no, it that's totally, that's why I wanted to do this podcast because it's. Really really fun just to speak to people from I don't know all different yeah standpoints like people who love entertaining people who don't yeah like who love cooking like that to me is interesting
1: I think if I was going to
0: do a dinner party dish yeah.
1: I would either either do a risotto or a chili con carne just because I know how to do those oh, quite easily
0: totally. <laughs> that would still be delicious yeah, that would be a yeah. good dinner party okay so through my research of you I found it really refreshing how open you are about the reasons behind wanting to open your own business. And that money was sort of, you know, on your mind, which was really refreshing because I think a lot of people sort of hide from that. It's always a dirty word. Yeah. It's so strange, isn't it?
1: It is. And I think it's a very feminine trait as well. It's like embarrassing to say, but why? I I think women find it in general more difficult to say what they think they're worth. Um, it's not that they don't want money and don't want to attract wealth, but they feel that that it's not, they can't say what they think. They want someone else yeah. to tell them what they're worth. And I think that's why you quite often see businesses where there's always a man driving the finance behind yeah. them. Um, and that's just such a big mistake as far as I'm concerned. Like if you want to be in control of your business, you have to understand money. And you will always need money. And getting smart about those things is the key to one of the keys to success. Yeah. I think. I've always wanted to make money. My decision about what I wanted to do in my career was I want to do a job that makes me money. So that's why I yeah. went into finance. Which is, I mean, which is the case for like pretty much anyone who works in finance. Male and female, yeah. <laughs> yeah. of course. And obviously like, when I did that, there were there were things about that that I, I didn't like and things that weren't fulfilling about that for me. But it didn't change the the want to do that. Now my, you know, I've had to change quite drastically my lifestyle in order to do what I've done. But it doesn't change that goal and that desire. Yeah. It's probably slightly different from from the way it was before. But Yeah. But you're working towards something yeah. bigger. Creating wealth and in, in, in is what we're aiming to do. And that's yeah. what my shareholders, when they put money in, are aiming well, yeah. as well. So, you know, I have a responsibility <laughs> to all of those
0: people. Yeah, I don't think you'd do have any health. shareholders if you were like, no. I'm not really bothered about making money. No. And
1: I think <laughs> do you know what I think everyone is bothered about it.
0: But I think that's it has to be a large reason behind starting your own business yeah anyone who's done that yeah of course the freedom and the working for yourself and the satisfaction but behind all of that is that you want to make money to live I
1: think so and also I think a lot of people say exactly that which is I wanted the freedom of working for myself and I was I've been very lucky in that I've had a very dear friend of mine who invested in our business and is my mentor and he's a serial entrepreneur and he He said to me, it's funny, a lot of people think they're going to get this flexibility and freedom from working for themselves. I've never worked harder. I've never had less flexibility. No, it's non-stop. It's just non-stop. Yeah. And it's a bit of a misnomer that that's what you get out of it. I think if you go into it wanting that and not admitting the financial side, you're always going to fall
0: over with it. Yeah, because I think when people know that you work for yourself they kind of is well, what with me anyway. I think they assume I get up at like eleven and then yeah. I watch daytime TV. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's so not the reality yeah. of working for yourself.
1: Or you go into work and you sit at your desk and you you know you tell everybody what to do and yeah, know, it. and it's not you know it's nothing like that. It's never anything like that. Yeah. So I think you have to be really connected to what you're trying to achieve and also the timeline in which you're trying to achieve. And one thing that my sort of investors and people around me have tried to get me to get into my head is. What is the amount of money that you want to make? Because that that sort of dictates your your own timeline and what direction you're going to go in. And that's something I've found quite difficult. I don't like putting an amount on it or quantifying it. But when you sit down and actually think about it, it does change the decisions that you make as well.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Okay, we're on to the last dish of the day. And that is the last dish you would eat before being cast off to the desert island.
1: Well, this wasn't difficult for me. I am a total pudding freak. I love, I've been known to go into a restaurant
0: and just order a pudding. Amazing. (laughs) Three courses of pudding.
1: I'm a total pudding (laughs) connoisseur. Although I don't like chocolate puddings, even though I love chocolate, which is quite strange.
0: Interesting. I like,
1: I like all other puddings, but not chocolate puddings. But if I was going to, my last dish would be a pudding. Okay. And it would be, it would be a pudding that my mum makes because my mum's yeah. the best cook as far as I'm concerned, it would be a rhubarb crumble with custard, because I love rhubarb. It's one of my favourite things. So good. And she always she always make, used to make it for us when we were younger, and still does, actually. And I just I adore it, which has just reminded me that I need to get her to make it oh, for yeah. me.
0: <laughs> so I definitely eat that before. Mum, if you're listening, get cooking. <laughs> yeah. Um, that yeah, that sounds absolutely delicious. And you're allowed a luxury item. What would you like Ooh, to take? Food in? item. Any kind of item. Any
1: you can take with you item. to the desert island well, do you know what i take a pillow at the moment
0: because i just <laughs> love to sleep that's a good one i <laughs> yeah. we'll let you take a pillow <laughs> and that's it thank you so much rebecca for letting us hear your desert island dishes thank you for having me oh rhubarb crumble with custard is one of my favorites so delicious i mean crumble in general just the best and this is definitely crumble weather how great is Rebecca? She's so impressive. And I think there are some really interesting tidbits and tips in there. That's a tongue twister um, for anyone thinking about starting a business. So I hope you enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can find me on Instagram at MadeByMargie. And if you want to hear from any guests in particular, you can ping me an email at hello at madebymargie.co.uk. And I will catch up with you later. Bye.